Have you ever encountered a Mormon and talked with them about your faith versus their faith? And it sounds like you guys are agreeing, but you kind of feel like you're not. <laughs> like you're not really in agreement here at all. And that's actually probably true because the issue is this. Mormons and Christians have the same vocabulary, but they have a different dictionary. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today in the Tuesday live stream. Welcome. I'm Mike Winger, and this is our Tuesday live stream where we tackle issues of theology and apologetics, the issues that matter today. And the issue today is the secret language of Mormonism. And I I think it's fair to call it the secret language of Mormonism because it's kind of a mystery even to a lot of Mormons and they're in their younger years until they get sort of further on in the faith and then they get the meat teachings and they find out some of this stuff. But this is just simply going to give you the difference between what Christians believe and what Mormons believe and why I'm going to start out by saying this. This is why you cannot call Mormons Christians and you can't call Christians Mormons. Now, this is not a prejudice thing. This doesn't come out of hate of my heart. It just comes out of a a desire for truthfulness and honesty and integrity on these issues because we care about our beliefs. Um, So we should be honest about them. We should hold them up to the light of discernment and clarity and not try to muddy the waters for the sake of a pretend version of unity that it doesn't really exist. All right, so here we go. The Mormon's secret language. When you hear Mormons say a word, it may not mean what you think it means. For instance, the first word today, the word God. When a Mormon says God versus a Christian saying God, we mean two very different things. The Christian definition, we mean this this being that has always been God, that is unchanging, that is spirit in his his essence, his spirit. He's always been omnipotent. That's all powerful. He's always been perfect in every way. He's always been all knowing and all of the attributes he has, he's had from eternity, not just a long time, but always. But the Mormon definition of God is very different. Uh, first off, when the Mormon says God, they usually mean heavenly father. They don't just refer to God as, as in general, as being the, the being who created all things, but they're specifically generally referring to heavenly father. And, um, and we would consider that one of the persons of the Godhead, but, but not, um, not the way they do. So first off, the Mormon God or term God does not refer to an eternal, an eternal being. This being, the Mormon God used to be a man, has a body of flesh and bones, started as a man and lived and actually died and then was resurrected and then became a God. And all those attributes that a Mormon would say God has, those attributes were gained over time, progressively. They did not happen all at once. And this God actually has a wife. Does that sound like last week's live stream? We talked about uh, the, um, the, uh, the, the church of God, how they believe God has a mother God issue, but that's a very different kind of thing that this, this is something I want to ratify this. I want to, I want to prove this by sharing with you some teachings from Joseph Smith himself. So I'm going to read some quotes today that are from Mormon teaching to try to reinforce. This is just the Mormon understanding of God. Now, these are things I'll say at the outset, if you're a Mormon, first, if you're a Mormon, thank you for listening. Um, I, I, I love you as much as I can love a stranger and the idea of someone that might be listening to me. I do care about you. I'm not doing this to attack you. I'm doing this to provide truth and clarity. Of course, I want you to come out of Mormonism. I want you to come into what I believe the true light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but how about you take this video like this? This is just meant to be clarity just clarity, just so you can at least understand why so many Christians would say that Mormons aren't 
Christian. Like the, the, it's a category error to even call him that. So this quote I'm about to read to you to establish this Mormon belief about God comes from Joseph Smith himself. Joseph Smith was the, the first president and prophet and founder of Mormonism. It's based upon his revelations and his claims. And he gave a particular sermon, very well-known, famous sermon called the uh, King Follett Sermon. It was delivered actually at a funeral. There were about 20,000 people present on April 7th, 1844. And he claimed, he claimed, if you read the sermon notes and you can read them on lds.org, um, just, just look King Follett, F-O-L-L-E-T, King Follett Sermon. And he claimed in the sermon that he was inspired by the Spirit as he was speaking. And so this is their prophet claiming to speak under inspiration by the Spirit. It's a sermon that's often quoted. That's why the, the Jehovah's... Excuse me. I apologize. That is why the Mormons will know this. Mormons are not Jehovah's Witnesses. And this is what he said. He said, I will go back to the beginning before the world was to show what kind of a being God is. What sort of a being was God in the beginning? Open your ears and hear all ye ends of the earth. Notice he's claiming now to speak to everyone, not just the people present. So he's claiming to be under inspiration, speaking to the whole world. God himself, he continues, was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. And this, of course, is the first, you know, Mormon secret language word is, is God. God is not this eternal, um, omnipotent spirit, always existing being. No, no, no. God was once a man in Mormon teaching. So I'll read that again. God, was one, God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. He continues, I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves in all the person, image, and very form as a man. And he's not here talking about Jesus. This is very different. He continues, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. These ideas are incomprehensible to some, but they are simple. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for certain the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another, and that he was once a man like us, yea, that God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did. To back up a sentence or two, he said it's a first principle of the gospel, these facts about God. This is core teaching, according to Joseph Smith, speaking under inspiration to the whole world. He says, core teaching, gospel principle, right? God, once a man, lived on an earth in some other location and lived a life just like Jesus. He was born, he lived, he died, he was resurrected, he, he then became a God. Let me read a little bit more of what he said in that same sermon. He says, the scriptures inform us that Jesus said, as the father hath power in himself, even so hath the son power. And now he's going to try to interpret these words of Jesus as he's quoted. He says, to do what? Why, what the father did. The answer is obvious. In a manner to lay down his body and take it up again. Jesus, what are you going to do? To lay down my life as my father did and take it up again. Do you believe it? So he says, I'm interpreting the words of Jesus. Jesus goes, He's actually taken two different phrases of Jesus and jammed them together. These, these actually aren't 
like it sounds with Joseph Smith quotes it, they're not together. This is, this is bad Bible study, but he quotes it and says, here's what it means. Jesus is, is, is claiming to do the same thing that the father did, which is what come live, die, get resurrected. That's, that's the teaching. Then he goes on. How important is it? Is it for you to believe this? He says, do you believe it? If you do not believe it, you do not believe the Bible. The scriptures say it and I defy all the learning and wisdom and all the combined powers of earth and hell together to refute it. And I'm not actually going to focus on refuting it in this particular video. Um, that'd be another topic, but that's the teaching. So definitely when a Mormon says, I believe in God, and a Christian says, I believe in God, we're not talking about the same being at all. These are huge differences. These aren't just differences in like, I think God did this. I think God didn't do that. It's, I think God is this. I think God is that. And these, these things that we think God is are totally different. Um, in, in whether you were uh, an Old Testament Jew or a New Testament Christian, the idea that God was once a man, wasn't always God, is utter blasphemy and abandonment of a core essential of the faith. And in Mormonism, if you don't believe that God was once a man, it's an abandonment of a first principle of the gospel. So these are mutually exclusive. Now let's go on to our next one, which is the term Jesus Christ. A Mormon may say, I believe in Jesus. And a Christian says, I believe in Jesus. And we say, well, we have common ground, right? We both believe in Jesus, but it's not the same Jesus. So for the Christian, the word, the word Jesus, the name Jesus um, refers to that same God we talked about before, this eternal, always existing as God person. Um, this, this is who we're talking about, right? There's one God. It's the same God that is this Jesus person. He's God, the son. He became incarnate to save us. And so we have really, this starts to get into the doctrine of the Trinity. We have, we have God, the father, we have God, the son, but there's just one God, one God who is the father, who's also the son. These are different persons. The father isn't the son. I'll, I'll get more into that in actually a moment, but that's the, the, the Christian teaching. Jesus is the eternal God come into the flesh. The Mormon definition is very different. The Mormon definition is that Jesus was born in heaven to physical parents in the pre-existence to physical parents in the pre-existence. So this is the idea that, that God, the father, who's an exalted man who has a physical body and has a wife, they copulated, they had physical relations, and then they produced spirit children who have bodies, spirit bodies, because in Mormonism, the word spirit doesn't mean what it means in Christianity. A spirit is a type of matter. So they have this, this other type of material for a body. Jesus was born like that. That was his initial birth. That's when he first became Jesus, really. And Satan is actually Jesus's brother. And Jesus is our brother too. Jesus, in fact, is exactly the same as us in the pre-existence, except that he's a little bit older. He became incarnate, not just to save us, but also to become a God because Jesus has only been a God for about 2000 years. And he's one of three gods in the Trinity, one of three gods in the Trinity. That would be Mormon teaching. So when a Mormon says, I believe in Jesus and a Christian says the same thing, they don't mean the same thing. Let's move on. Uh, briefly, um, I've got into the Trinity, but I think I need to cover it in more detail now. So here it is. When a Christian says, I believe in the Trinity, a Mormon can actually say they believe in the Trinity. In fact, on LDS.org, you will find um, specific statements that there is such thing as a Mormon Trinity. Um, I was reading into this earlier. And the Christian definition of the Trinity is this three-in-one God 
the three persons in one being. That's the three. There's not three gods in one God. That's that's weird. Um, the three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, in one being, and the being is God, right? In fact, there's a there's a uh, diagram that's often used to help explain this. I think a little bit better, and it's this right here in front of you. If you see that there's there's one God, and God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. This is a simple affirmation and denial way of saying, here's the Trinity. Here's what we believe. And side note, everyone who attacks the Trinity doesn't attack this version of it. They attack some weird other version of the Trinity. Um, Yeah. So three in one, three persons, one being, that would be the Christian version. But the Mormon definition of the Trinity is three different gods who are one only in purpose and doctrine. Only in purpose and doctrine. They're not, they're not one being. They're three separate different beings that just agree about what they believe and what they do and what they want. That's what they are. That's three different gods. So their trinity is actually three gods. That would be polytheism. And we'll get more into that in a minute. Um, On Mormon.org, it says, we believe that they are separate beings, but share the same purpose that these these three different gods. On LDS.org, it says, although the members of the Godhead are distinct beings with distinct roles, they are one in purpose and doctrine. Distinct beings with distinct roles. As a Christian, I affirm the distinct roles, but distinct beings, no, we do not affirm that. There is only one God. That is a core uh, biblical doctrine. Um, ask any Jew, ask any Christian. Pretty important stuff. There's only one eternal, almighty, all-powerful uh, God. Let's move forward. When a Christian says there's only one God, we mean there's only one God. <laughs> This is, this is, this is it, right? There's only one God, but the, the Mormon can actually affirm there's only one God. And I've encountered Mormon missionaries who I've just, I've talked with and even seminary teachers in, in Utah, when we did our mission trips out there, who I converse with and they say, yes, we believe there's only one God. So how can a Mormon say there's only one God? Because they don't mean it the way you mean it. The Mormon definition is, we only really worship one God, the Father, but Jesus is also a God and the Holy Spirit is another God and countless other gods exist. And I got to stress this. In Mormon teaching, there are quite literally more gods in Mormon teaching than there are in any other religion of the world or even all the religions of the world combined. Because there are countless, innumerable, and an actual um, eternal regression going back of gods, more gods, more gods, more gods. So when a Christian says there's only one God, we just mean it in the plain sense of the word. The Mormon means something very much, I think, disguised to sound Christian. Because the goal, especially nowadays with Mormonism, the goal is, I think, to get people into the, the LDS organization more so than it is to actually convince them of the truth of the doctrines. And so they will sometimes uh, be even trained to sort of skirt issues of differences, which are, at least to the founders of Mormonism, essential differences, essentially important differences. Let me read to you, in fact, a, a couple things here. This is this is from a, a hymn. It's called, If You Could Hi to Kolob. Now, um, the, this hymn is hymn number 284. It's an official Mormon hymn. They, all the Mormons have sung this at some point if, if they attend regularly. 
And I'm going to read to you verse one from this hymn. Now, just know this, in, in, in Mormon theology, Kolob is the name of a planet. Uh, Kolob is a, pl a planet or a star, we're not 100% sure, but it's some sort of celestial body way out there in space. And this is nearest to God's throne. It's like the star closest to God's throne. And this is uh, probably where God was, but when he was a man, he was in that area, maybe even on Kolob, living on it. And then later he was exalted and kind of organized things around that. But then... That's not the focus here, isn't the issue of this Kolob planet. That's not my point at all. Here's the verse from this song, verse one. It says this, if you could hide a Kolob, H-I-E, hi, it just means like go quickly. It's old English speak for going quickly. So if you could go quickly to Kolob in the twinkling of an eye and then continue onward with that same speed to fly, do you think that you could ever through all eternity find out the generation where gods began to be? Like, you can't even go back far enough to find these gods. And someone would say, Mike, this is, this is not, you know, you could hide a collab as an official church doctrine. I mean, but close enough in my opinion. But allow me to read to you a passage here from uh, Abraham, the book of Abraham. Now, this is actually the book of Abraham. Um, here we have official Mormon teaching, right? It's printed by the church. It's part of the official scripture of the church. I'm looking at a passage in the Pearl of Great Price called the book of Abraham. And the book of Abraham in chapter four, I'll read starting in verse one. It's written to sound like King James Version um, because then it it's like a, a, a casual way of making it look more like the Bible. Um, but let's read and listen carefully because this is basically a, a retelling of the creation story um, in this uh, Mormon book. It says, and then the Lord God said, let us go down. And they went down at the beginning and they, that is the gods, plural, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. And the earth, after it was formed, was empty and desolate because they had not formed anything but the earth. And darkness reigned upon the face of the deep and the spirit of the gods, plural, was brooding upon the face of the waters. And they, the gods, said, let there be light. And there was light. And they, the gods, comprehended the light for it was bright. And then it goes on. And for like two chapters, the most common phrase is the gods, plural. They keep doing things, these multiple gods. This, of course, is written a little bit later in Joseph Smith's career when he'd really gone full on into this sort of polytheism. So when a Christian says there's only one God, we mean it. When a Mormon says there's only one God, um, they don't mean it. They might mean, I only really worship one God. Um, of course, if they worship Jesus and they see him as a separate God, now they're worshiping two gods. This has led one of the recent leaders of the church, uh, McConkie, to come out and say, hey, we don't worship Jesus. Uh, we only worship the Father, but yet then they have other content that says they do worship Jesus. So it's just an internal conflict in Mormonism trying to reconcile these things. They just know it's a trigger word, polytheism, you know, that's just a trigger word for people. They go, wait a minute, whatever you are, you're not Christian, you know? And so um, here we go. Next one. God created all things. This is the statement. God created all things. I can say this as a Christian. And what I mean is God literally made everything that exists. Everything that exists other than God was created by him out of nothing. The fancy word is ex nihilo. Ex nihilo just means out of nothing. Meaning it wasn't little particles and he just gathered them together. No, no, he created the particles. You know, he created the space. He created the energy, the time, matter, all of it. He had to make this stuff or it wouldn't exist. Um, out of nothing. That's the Christian teaching. But the Mormon definition is totally different to say, I think God created all things, they mean something very different than you do, as a, if you're a Christian. The Mormon definition is that matter is eternal and God just organized it. 
God just organizes matter. In fact, if you notice in the book of Abraham, I read it didn't say God created. It said God organized in particular. There's a reason why it uses that word because they do not believe that God created all things. They really do not believe it. Let me actually read to you again from the same sermon, the King Follett sermon. This is what Joseph Smith says um, about creating. It says, now I ask all who hear me, why the learned men who are preaching salvation say that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. The reason is that they are unlearned in the things of God and have not the gift of the Holy Ghost. They account it blasphemy in anyone to contradict their idea. If you tell them that God made the world out of something, they will call you a fool. But I am learned and know more than all the world put together. The Holy Ghost does anyhow, and he's within me and comprehends more than all the world, and I will associate myself with him. You ask the learned doctors why they say the world was created out of nothing, and they will answer, doesn't the Bible say he created the world? And they infer from the word create that it must have been made out of nothing. Now, the word create came from the word baurau, which is not actually accurate, which does not mean to create out of nothing. It means to organize the same as a man would organize materials to build a ship. Hence, we infer that God had materials to organize the world out of chaos. And he goes on. Um, the, the point here is that Joseph Smith is clearly teaching that God didn't make anything out of nothing. He just organized the stuff that was already there. So in the many times in Mormon doctrine where you hear create, it means organized. Um, now, the traditional Jewish view throughout time has always been that God created out of nothing. The Christian view has been that God created out of nothing. And a lot of good work has gone into this. And if you're interested in uh, studying into it in Hebrew, just go start researching it on your own. You will find lots of great resources on it. Here's the thing, though. Um, there's there's two kinds of people who reference Hebrew, right? There's there's people who teach Hebrew who who know Hebrew well, right? Then there's people who talk about Hebrew who have an audience that doesn't know Hebrew. And that's actually what Joseph Smith actually had. He just had people who couldn't who couldn't check into the things he was saying very well. Uh, certainly knowledge hadn't spread as easily as it does now that we have the internet, as well as false knowledge. So be, be thoughtful about what you study, but it's there. Let's go into another one. Go to heaven. Christian says, hey, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I'm going to go to heaven. And I can get into the eschatological view, the future of heaven, God, new, new heaven, new earth, all that kind of stuff. But let me just focus on, um, on what I mean when I say go to heaven. I mean where God is, right? God's dwelling. God's in heaven. God's dwelling is there. His presence is there. I'm going to be there with him. But the Mormons mean something very different. When the Mormon says go to heaven, they mean one of three different locations. The, the telestial, the celestial, the terrestrial. Not in that order. Actually, the celestial is the highest um, and the uh, telestial is the lowest and the terrestrial is the middle one. I got those mixed up. But the Mormon, it means these three very different kinds of things. You know, you have the, the lowest level, the telestial level. And this is where basically wicked people go who like... Maybe they've burned off enough of their sins in, in hell, and then they kind of make it up to the bottom rung level of heaven. It's not exactly the best place to be. It's definitely not. And you don't get to see God the Father, and you never get to see Jesus, but the Holy Spirit will come and visit you here. Then you have the, the terrestrial, the second level. And this is where, for the most part, lukewarm Mormons get to go here. And it's it's considered a good place to be, but you're not at the highest level. And you get to see Jesus here in the Holy Spirit, but you do not get to interact with God the Father ever. 
Then you have the highest level, the celestial level. And in the celestial level, you might get to actually become a God yourself. And I'll get more into that a little bit later. So when a Christian says, Jesus saved me so I can go to heaven, the Mormon can agree but there's so much more to it than that. It's actually a very complicated view of salvation, very complicated. And we will get into more of that right now when the Mormon says saved by grace. I may say I am saved by grace. And I mean all, all of the benefits of salvation come at the cost of Christ's sacrifice. I only receive. And this is such a beautiful thing to me. I did not earn it. I don't deserve it. I just have it freely by his grace. I am so comforted by this because I fail, because I deserve wrath and judgment, and I do not earn or keep my salvation by my good works. None of that, right? It's all by grace. All of it. I'm saved by grace. So I mean like the forgiveness of my sins at this moment, to my uh, my reception into heaven upon my, my death, into my being able to enjoy the new heaven, new earth that God creates. All of this is by his grace, purely by his grace but that is not at all what a Mormon means. So they will say I'm saved by grace, but they don't mean what you mean. The Mormon definition is that Jesus gets you resurrected, resurrected, meaning you get a new body after you die, but you might get burned in hell and have to work off your sin with pain to get up into that lowest level. But he earned your resurrection, but you might have to earn your way up into the level. And it's actually really, really hard in Mormonism to get full total salvation. Right. And in Mormonism, there's a phrase. In fact, every Mormon can, can finish this phrase. But but let me let me see the first part. And if, if you're Mormon, I want you to think, what's the rest of it? It's saved by grace. Saved by grace. You know it. After all that we do. That's the quote. Saved by grace after all that we do. But the biblical quote is this. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. So the biblical teaching is the opposite. Like you can't mix grace and, and, uh, and works. It doesn't, these are, these are contrary terms. Romans eleven six actually teaches that really clearly. And then the Mormon teaching is I'm saved by grace after all that I do. So grace isn't grace in Mormonism. It's not a biblical view of grace. It's a new understanding. Then we get to exaltation, exaltation. Now this is something different. In the Christian definition, I simply mean being with God forever in glorified human bodies. That's exaltation. And and every single believer achieves this, receives this by grace because it's part of eternal life. It's part of salvation through what Jesus did. I don't earn it. But the Mormon definition of exaltation is different. It's becoming a God, populating your own heaven with spirit children, creating ultimately your own planet where um, where you, you basically replay the whole situation that we've we're seeing right now, right? With with uh, we have these supposed pre-existence up in heaven. We come down here and we live this life in hopes that we might that we might achieve exaltation to become gods. That we would then do what? Populate a planet where people come and make babies in heaven, and then they come down, and then they can hopefully achieve exaltation. So they can do what? Populate a planet, and it just continues on. In fact, this has happened over and over again over and over and over and over again. This has been the consistent thing throughout time. The Mormon teaching would be that, that I could become a God, but, but if you wind the clock back, God, when he wasn't a God, he was a man. What did he have? He had a God and that God used to be a man and that God had another God. 
And that God used to be a man and he had a God and he used to be a man. And so there's just this infinite regression. And that's the teaching. It's infinite regression, which is a, a philosophical, I think, impossibility. So this is, this is the Mormon view of exaltation, and it is extremely difficult. Let me read to you a little bit from the, uh, the same King Follett sermon. This is from Joseph Smith. He says, here then is eternal life. And he describes eternal life to know the only wise and true God. And you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to God. The same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another and from one small capacity to an, to a greater one from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation until you attain the resurrection of the dead and are able to dwell in everlasting burnings and to sit in glory as do those who sit enthroned in everlasting power. So what do you have to do to get this, this exaltation, right? It's not by grace. No, it is quite difficult. The exaltation that comes uh, to a Mormon has to come after a long list of things is done. And some of these are rather vague. And so it's difficult for a Mormon to say that they've actually done them. I would be surprised to ever meet a Mormon who would say to me, I really am doing all this stuff and then survive a, little, a couple questions you could ask them. Um, but one of the things they have to do is they have to, according to LDS.org, LDS here's the requirements of salvation. They have to obey all the commands of God excuse me, requirements of exaltation. They have to obey all the commands of God. They have to be baptized. They have to be an LDS member. They have to become a Melchizedekian priest. They have to receive temple endowment. They have to get married for time and all eternity. Um, and the, it, the list just goes on. It just gets longer and longer and longer, keeps going. But let me just focus on like one or two of them. In, in uh, Mormon beliefs, exaltation comes when you obey all the commands of God. He says that we're to love uh, him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And I doubt anybody has done this for any significant length of time, meaning that nobody meets these requirements. And so what happens in Mormonism is it's like the either you're beat up or you're puffed up, right? Either I'm beat up because I, I fail, I'm never going to make it, I see who I really am, or you start deceiving yourself into thinking you're really achieving these things, in which case you're on your way to becoming a God. I mean, how does this not um, puff you up? Just like Ephesians says, not of works lest anyone should boast. So let's get into a couple more before I take your guys' questions. The word gospel, and oh, if you do have questions, just a reminder in case you're just joining the stream, if, if you have a question, just put it in the live chat. AJ is going to send those over to me and I will answer those right after uh, a few more words. So the word gospel. Christian says, I believe in the gospel. A Mormon says, I believe in the gospel, but we mean very, very different things. We believe in the good news of forgiveness, the forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. This is it. That's the thing you have to believe to be totally saved and receive exaltation. But the Mormon definition the Christian version of exaltation, the Mormon definition, there's a host of new Mormon teachings that Joseph Smith brought, and you have to learn this stuff and then perform it to get to varying levels of salvation. So the, the Mormon teaching of the gospel is not really good news. It's kind of bad news. Um, first off, he says that the gospel was taken from the earth and it was gone for, you know, for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years for over a millennia. There was no gospel on the earth. Joseph restored it and he has his new gospel and he teaches these gospel principles. You have to not only take it in here and here, but you got to do it here. You know, you got to live out this life. And so it ends up being the ladder no one can climb. 
It ends up being the goal that no one can reach. And it ends up, I think, turning people into Pharisees where they ignore the true calling and they focus on the little things um, or they're just beat up and hopefully ready for some salvation through Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, if you have a Mormon who comes to you and says, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in a, a Trinity. In fact, I believe in the gospel and that we're saved by faith through grace. And I believe in salvation. And, and they keep saying all these things they believe, yet they don't believe anything that you believe as a Christian. So you cannot call Mormonism Christianity. These things are they're, they're completely opposed to each other. Mormonism is a false Christianity. It doesn't fit historically. It doesn't fit biblically. It doesn't fit rationally. Um, it cannot be said to be the same thing. And it was only actually in the past like 40 or so years that Mormons have tried to call themselves Christians, have really made a point of this. Um, and so I hope that, that this has clarified some things. And if you're a Mormon and you're mad at me, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not my goal, man. My goal is not to, I'm not attacking you. I'm not beating you up. I'm trying to talk about truth. And um, and I mean, here's the question I have for you is if, if it's true, don't you want to know? If it's false, don't you want to know? Um, if, if the things that you've been led to believe are not accurate, don't you want to know? Don't you want to share it with your family and, and, and guide them into truth? I think we should do that. So I'm going to take your guys' questions now. Um, thanks, AJ, for sending those over. And you can, you can add some more in the uh, live chat. Um, thanks, guys, for joining me, by the way. Uh, I'm enjoying doing these things and uh, looking forward to more. In fact, before I answer this first question, I'll say, if you have ideas for this live stream and you're like, Mike, please cover this topic or cover this video or cover this article, please send those to me. You can send it by putting a link right in the comments section of this video. You can send it to me on my Facebook public Facebook page, uh, Mike Winger Bible Thinker. And you can, um, you can message me that content there. And I'm actually forming a list of things I'll be doing on Tuesdays. Looking forward to your input on that. So this is from Mr. Sirius. He says, why do so many Mormons consider themselves Christians, even though their doctrine seems completely different? Are they not aware of the obvious differences? Um, no, they're not. They're not, a, they're not some of them. Okay. It, obviously this is not one size fits all of an answer. Some Mormons are not aware of the differences. A lot of Mormons don't even find out about a lot of this stuff until they're on their mission trip. And there they are, they, you know, when a Mormon goes about 17 years old, I think they actually lowered the age for this, but when a Mormon hits a certain age, the, the men especially are really encouraged, go on a mission trip, go on a two-year mission trip. And what they do is they go door to door. These are the guys you see with the, with the ties and the white button-up shirt and the name tag, and they knock on your door and there's always two of them. Well, this is where they find out oftentimes about Mormon beliefs. They find out while they're knocking on doors. And what happens is they encounter a believer like you or me who actually knows about Mormonism. And we tell them, you guys think God wasn't always God. And then what happens is they look at one another and they go, wait, do we think that? <laughs> and this is, this is the discovery moment. But what happens after they leave your door, they're shaking, their faith is disturbed. Then they go and they're staying at a, at a, at a, some older Mormons home and they kind of unpack the day. And this is where the brain, the brainwashing takes place. This is where it's like, here you are, you're isolated from family, isolated from friends, and you're learning even about your own faith more than anything else. And you're being told like, you need to suck, you need to suck it up. Like this is what we believe. And they're, they're going to be encouraged in that environment to take it in. Um, so a lot of them don't know this and Mormonism while in the past, it really emphasized theology and doctrine recently. It does not. Um, Mormon teaching has really shied away from doctrine. Although I feel like they might shift sometime in the future, 
because when Mormons learn their doctrine through things like this, it tends to shake their faith and um, they may decide that they'd rather inoculate them at a younger age. We'll see. So I have another question from Truth Watch. It says, hi, I'm off topic, but my ex-husband cheated and I forgave him and I left him because of physical abuse. He's on his fifth wife. If I remarry, will it be living in adultery? Um, Okay, that's a heavy question. Uh, Truth Watch, thank you for asking. And uh, let me say this, that my understanding of the passages, multiple passages that teach on marriage, especially in the New Testament, um, is that the the uh, the divorce uh, whether it had been justified initially or not the point at which he went away from you and slept with and married another woman that that solidified the divorce even even if hypothetically let's suppose i'm not saying the divorce wasn't justified but let's suppose the divorce was not justified and then he goes and he marries this other woman and then this breaks this is now even if you were still married that's the adultery that's the justification um so this is not to put a casual justification i'm just trying to kind of like offer you a real i think clarity and so that if you were to go off and marry another i i do i do think that that original marriage is gone um, that original marriage is, is separated finally. Um, I, I really want to do a, a full teaching on this topic sometime, but I, I have to be honest, I don't feel super comfortable with all of the passages that teach on this. Um, it's not that I'm not comfortable with what they say. It's that I don't know that I've fully understood them. So I say this with a little bit of hesitance. This is heavy, right? This is about your marriage. This is about your obedience to Jesus in your life. So please don't take my word for it sit down with the passages of scripture where Jesus talks about marriage. First Corinthians seven talks about marriage. Look at the different things that, that it says and make sure that your conscience is absolutely clear, not just because of what you want, but because of what you read. Um, let your conscience be totally clear before making a decision. And, uh, and I do hope to make a video trying to make more clarity on this topic sometime in the future. And I hope it's helpful. So I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I've got another question from uh, Braden uh, Saporito. I'm, or Saporto, I don't know how to pronounce that, says, I would like to know what Mike would suggest to say, in particular to a Mormon, to convince them that Christianity is truth. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I find that most Mormons are not convinced by truth. Um, don't. That's not meant to be an insult. Let me explain. Most Mormons are convinced by feelings, and they've really encouraged us in the Mormon church. There's something they call your testimony in Mormonism. And your testimony is a moment where you get like a, they used to call it a burning in your bosom. It's meant to be like this strong feelings of emotion, maybe heat and warmth and a sense of peacefulness. And that peacefulness is directly related to the idea that Joseph Smith is really a prophet and that the Book of Mormon is really true. And so that's called receiving your testimony. Now, from the time they're a child, they're pressured to receive their testimony. So they pray like, God, I want to receive my testimony. And then once they do receive it, they're paraded up in front of the rest of the Mormons up in their regular meetings on Sunday. And they stand there, even as a child, and they say, I received my testimony. Joseph Smith is the true prophet. The Book of Mormon is, is God's word. And everybody claps and applauds. And then the kids who haven't received their testimony yet feel like, I should really get up there, you know? And so most Mormons will tell you that it's truth doesn't factor into it. It's all about this, this emotional feeling. This is actually how they evangelize, right? They go to your door and they say, Hey, believe in Mormonism because of a feeling God will give you. They don't offer any evidence. There is no real evidence for Mormonism. Um, so instead of, you can't say, oh, manuscript evidence, prophecy, um, archaeology. You, you, you can't even look at doctrinal consistency. Like there is no evidence. So what they have to do is they have to, 
you know, convince you a different way. So they tell you, pray for wisdom. And if you feel this burning in your bosom, then it means that God is, um, God is telling you that Mormonism is true. So how do I snap someone out of that? I, I've tried a few different things. Um, and usually it doesn't work. And so I'll be completely honest with you. The, one of the things I've done is I've, I've asked them, I've said, um, uh, is it possible that this, this burning in your bosom could be from yourself or maybe not from God, but from Satan? Is it possible? And I want to get them to just say, well, yeah, I guess it's possible. And then I want to lead them down the path of, well, how would you know? Like, how would I know if this thing was true? How would I validate this sensation or this feeling that I've had? And then I'm leading them down the path of, uh, of evidence. And so you could, you could then talk about scripture or you could talk about Joseph Smith or Brigham Young, the, the first two guys in the Mormon church. Um, but you, you first have to get them to care about truth. So ask him, like, do you care if it's true? If you found out Mormonism wasn't true, would, would you, would you leave or would you continue to believe it? And that, that's really the issue. And more than anything is this emotional commitment. It's not so much an intellectual one. Um, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anybody else, do you have ideas? Put them in the comments because we want to hear from you. You know, what have you done? Or maybe you're a former Mormon and what shook you out of it? Like what woke you up and got you to turn to, to Christ in truth? Please tell us about this. We want to know so we can be better equipped to reach Mormons in love with the truth of the gospel. So uh, from Douglas Dobbins, welcome back, Doug. Um, it says, you ever notice that the Christian cults always throw out salvation by grace? Any thoughts on why? Um, just simply because Satan's not going to make up a true cult, you know, <laughs> so, so if, 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 if there's going to be, a, it's going to be a cult, it's always going to lose in the essentials. And in this case, the essential of how you can be saved, um, salvation by grace. No, no salvation by works, always by works, always by works. It, now there is a actual biblical gospel principle, right? By grace. They always do that. Uh, I, I think it's because it's demonic. Uh, just my personal opinion. I think it's demonic. I think Satan knows that if he can get people to embrace works, they've abandoned the gospel. Read the book of Galatians for that one. I mean, he says, look, like if you, if you're going to go down this road, you're going to embrace works for salvation, then you've abandoned Christ. Um, and so it's a pretty heavy and serious issue, which is why we're on red alert back there in case you guys didn't notice red alert. All right. This is from, uh, D Clash. It says, interesting question. Why is infinite regression illogical but an infinite God is not. Ooh, good question. Good question. I like it. Um, I especially like getting, getting really hard questions live. That's kind of fun to me. Um, okay. So an infinite regression is different than an infinite God, because when we talk about an infinite God, we're not talking about an infinite series of events. So philosophically, you would say an infinite series of events is impossible. In fact, they have to be like an infinite, um, equal, distance series of events. So an infinite number of seconds going backward, that's an impossibility. And there's several reasons why. And, and if you want to look at really cool philosophical argument against it, look up on Google, the phrase Hilbert's hotel, Hilbert, H I L B E R T apostrophe S Hilbert's hotel. And you will actually see some cool videos explaining why an infinite regression is an impossibility. It's an impossible thing to have an actual infinite number of the same thing. So what can I not have an infinite number of is an infinite number of gods going backwards. Uh, how would I arrive at this moment today? But this is, this is the thing. It doesn't apply to God in his infinites, his infinity. We're talking about God as an infinitude of his being. His nature is not finite. 
that's interesting. I mean, there's other things that aren't finite, right? Like, is truth finite? Well, I mean, truth doesn't, you know, it doesn't really apply. The word doesn't apply to truth. Truth isn't finite. That's an example of something that's not finite. But a, a second is a finite thing. Um, you know, this, this water is finite. In fact, all the water in the universe is a finite amount. The universe is in a finite size. But God transcends these things and he's infinite. So the arguments against the infinite regression don't apply to God because God is not an infinite number of things going backward forever. So I, I hope that that helps. But look up Hilbert's Hotel. I, I think it's really interesting stuff. Uh, so from Rob Donahue, do you believe that the Utah LDS Church will begin to change their doctrine subtly and slowly because the information age is dis decimating the basics of their beliefs and they can't control the info? Yes, yes, they're already starting. In fact, I guarantee in response to this video, there will be when it goes live on YouTube uh, and, and an actual permanent comment section shows up. There will be comments in there of lots of Mormons saying, we don't believe this, we don't believe that, we don't believe that. There is emerging right now, it seems to me, a version of the Mormon church that Joseph Smith and, and Brigham Young and the first many presidents of the church would all say is apostate and is not Mormon. And that's what's coming out right now. Um, but it started happening a while back. It started when they changed the polygamy issues. It continued when they changed racism issues. And they started trying to just say, you know what's more important to us than our theology? And that's that's the growth and health of our organization. And and that's interesting. It's, it's a good note for us, even as Christians, to go, you know what's more important than our theology? I don't know anything that's more important than our theology, man. I really believe this stuff. I'm not going to compromise it to appeal to people, to get on someone's good side, or to follow the whims of society. But Mormonism is absolutely doing that. But they're doing it not by making new doctrine. The way they're doing it's really interesting. They're doing it by simply watering down old doctrine. And so one thing they'll do is they'll retreat away from the statements of the presidents away from his, and they'll basically start to get a small amount of scripture as possible. So they don't want to look at the journal of discourses. Oh no, no, no. That's got too much crazy stuff in it. We're going to say, we only believe in, you know, the book of Mormon, the doctrine and covenants, Pearl of Great Price. Like we believe in these standard works, but everything else is take it or leave it. You're still a Mormon. Even to the point where I heard recently a, a Mormon who was uh, in a debate and he was saying that it's not necessary to believe that Jesus wasn't always God. But that's like a core doctrine, according to Joseph Smith, is that God was once a man. Oh, and then they say, well, but even though we've been quoting that sermon for years and decades, you know, it's not, it's not essential Mormon doctrine. So what they're doing is not so much changing the doctrine as they do that sometimes, but that's rare. More, they're just pulling and distancing themselves away from it so that they can have like a plausible deniability, I think would be the right term. And it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty squirrely. And in all reality, um, this is, this is what's caused so many splinter groups. There are tons of Mormon groups and they're getting new ones all the time. And individual Mormons are starting to just really scoff and mock even sometimes some of their past presidents or their current presidents because they have to pick which one to side with. You know, um, in the past, they would say, as, as God once was, man, uh, wait, as man as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. This was the, 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 the quote that every Mormon knew and every Mormon believed. But um, not that long ago, uh, one of the presidents came out and said, I don't really know what that means. And it was like, what? You don't know what it means? Like, you're obviously just being deceitful. This is obvious deceit. 
And so they started soft pedaling away from those things. So that's the the form of Mormonism I see coming out right now. And I don't think it'll work because um, liberal movements die. That's what they do. They just die. Liberal movements that move away. I don't mean in politics. I'm not, not, I'm not talking. I have issues with some liberal politics, but this is not the question here. Liberal theology where you you move away from the actual real core teachings of your of your beliefs you get further and further from that these groups die out eventually and mormonism has shrunk to the point where i think that the church growth is down to like 1.7 or 1.5% which is probably less than the number of kids they're producing as mormons and so that's um evidence right there that that strategy is not working um so I, I think that uh, I think that's the last of our questions for today. So my appeal to you guys is this: take this information and do not use it to mock or ridicule Mormons. Use it to reach out to them, but don't assume that they know everything that you just you just learned. In fact, it's not your goal to educate them on Mormonism. Like it's not your goal to get them to believe that God was once a man. Like that's not your goal, right? So ask them what they believe. Find out where they're at and reach them right where they're at. Um, you're not trying to argue with them about what Mormon doctrine is and what Mormon doctrine is not. Just ask them what they believe and move on from there in the conversation. And I pray God gives you great wisdom to ask good questions and have good insights in scripture. Um, love them. Use this information to reach them. Pray for them. If you feel angry, I think that's appropriate. But if you don't feel burdened, then maybe your heart hasn't come to the full realization of everything that we've just said. Mormonism. They've been taught basically a language, a spiritual language that uses a dictionary that doesn't really exist. And that's just sad. It's just sad. So um, I'm going to close this out actually by praying, uh, leading us in prayer for um, our Mormon friends, family, coworkers, and those in our culture that are LDS. Um, Father God, <clears throat> we thank you for your love for the Mormon people. And we pray that we would have more of a heart of love for them too. And we pray God that you give us great wisdom to use this information to get clarity and understanding when we talk with them so we wouldn't get frustrated, but instead we'd understand what's happening when they seem to be saying that they agree with us, but we know that it's not really there. And we pray, Father, for hearts of compassion and skill and wisdom in outreaching to them with the truth of Christ. We pray for the continued shrinking and diminishing of the organization of Mormonism. But we don't just pray for that. We pray for the salvation of the Mormons. We don't just want to see this thing disappear, Lord. We want to see these people saved and to know the true grace of Christ. For the Mormons that are doubting their faith and maybe even one watching this video, we pray for them right now that they would find good resources and they get good clarity on the truth of Scripture and the truth of Christ. And they'd realize that though Mormonism had been full of fabrications and deceit, Jesus is not. And that there is a true, solid, evidential faith in Christianity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Um, I've had a great time today. God bless you. And we'll be doing our next live stream at 5 p.m. Um, Pacific Standard Time. If I can make it work. If not, I'll do it as close to 5 p.m. as the glitches allow. God bless you.